at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyon. Hello. Hello, hello. We are also getting a special guest today. Jim Simmons will be joining us from the site to talk all about Syracuse lacrosse, a mysterious world that many, many fans seem to ignore for reasons unknown with basketball season. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're good or anything, so I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, have they ever won anything? Like, I don't, I don't think so. No. Especially if you ask the NCAA, they, they totally didn't win a, a thing in 1999. <laughs> didn't happen. According to the NCAA, nothing happened, or everything happened, because if we're looking at the USC documents, and we're not going to talk about them because I don't want to talk about NCAA nonsense anymore. Um, I have a good feeling that a lot of things that happened just weeks ago at Syracuse are going to be repealed. I feel like the NCAA back in like the mid-90s saw the movie Men in Black and saw like that pen thing that erases people's minds and just figured that <laughs> believing that that could actually happen is a good policy for instituting discipline. And uh, go, so, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Hello, Jim. How are we doing? Welcome. Good. We were just talking about the NCAA and how they think that they can erase memories. <laughs> Had that conversation a lot over the last few weeks. <laughs> a little more, I'm sure. I'm kind of waiting for USC's uh, statement because um, I have a feeling it's going to be very strongly worded um, as we kind of, you know, get into the next few weeks. I Again, I'm, I'm excited about it, if only because I, I think that, you know, what happens here and, and kind of what the NCAA moves to do is, is going to to bear a lot on what we end up getting with, with Syracuse in the end. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely good. To, it, it, this is a, about the perfect time for this stuff to happen uh, with Syracuse in all likelihood filing an appeal and Jim Behan filing an appeal. So, um, as you know, I know we don't want to go too far into it, but as, as Sean talked about a lot on the site, like it's this weird confluence of fans who, A, like will hate the NCAA for like 90% of the time, but once they go and punish someone, it's like this feeding frenzy on that school. Um, so this kind of pushes the the 
hate and backlash back towards the NCAA, which I think is, is a good thing for SU. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. It, it, like anything with the NCAA, I don't expect it to be a very quick process. So, hopefully uh, we hear something in the next, like, year or two. Agreed. Um, now to the topic at hand. Uh, Jim, you're obviously here to uh, to chat. Uh, is it lacrosse, or, or, or how how do we pronounce the, 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 the sport? I that, think that's that how the sticks. I think that's how the Native Americans pronounce it you know, originally. Uh, yes, of course. But yeah, we had a, a so, pretty uh, solid game on on Sunday against Duke. There, uh, maybe one of the best all around performances we've seen from a, a Syracuse lacrosse team and several years. Yeah, I think it was my yeah, I mean, most dominant performance I can remember, and that doesn't even like take into account that we were playing the number four team in the country. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I you can't say enough for the, sorry for that, uh, the defensive group there. Uh, Brandon Mullins, his slides have been quicker. He acknowledged it after the game. He's been a, a lot more um, assertive on the slide, and you can tell over the last two years gained a lot of confidence, and uh, Scott Furman and Peter McCartney did a great job picking up Miles Jones, but the double came quick on him. They were physical on him. They put him on the ground. You know, the kid's got 21 assists on the year. Uh, I think he had one uh, in that game and, and no goals, and the last time that happened was against Syracuse in the ACC tournament, so impressive job by them. Yeah, for me, I think what was wild was, again, you know, like shutting down Jones, who really is, uh, for those who didn't watch and, and don't really pay attention to Duke lacrosse, um, Miles Jones is, is just a hulk of a human being. <laughs> and he's not the type of guy that you can just uh, just slow down. And I mean, he definitely he definitely laid some really nice hits on Syracuse defenders um, in the early parts of the game. But at the same time, you know, hold, holding him back um, from really – you know, reaching what he's capable of. I, I think the defense actually becomes a much underrated part of Sunday effort because I think um, a lot of folks are, are, and, you know, myself included right after, are going to gravitate right towards the offense and right towards, um, you know, just the absolute scoring display that easily could have hit the mid-20s um, if, if, you know, we hadn't obviously pumped the brakes in, in the uh, – Give me eyes of good sportsmanship. Yeah, that that attack has just been deadly all year. I mean, you know, Dylan Donahue is he's known as a finisher, but he just you know, he consistently displays more than that. Uh, Kevin Rice is, is phenomenal. You know, he's the quarterback, of course, but even without stats, they just they were putting up numbers. You know, Tim Barber did a good job, kind of got out of their way a little bit. Uh, which was was good to see. Um, I'd expect him to be on that that attack line again next week. It was nice to see uh, Stoonmaker make a, a big appearance too. I know some people have worried a little bit about the depth in the in the uh, the second line of the of the offense because you know we've had Donahue and Rice have been amazing all year, but you know everyone in Duke was was lighting it up, which was great to see. Yeah, Scooney's got five goals in the last two games, so he's had a little bit of a resurgence, but not quite as up to what he was last year. But, you know, his stats gone, he's kind of a, got a new focus on that offense, so maybe uh, maybe that continues this week, but 
remains to be seen. It, I think a lot of it depends on whether Jack Near, uh, you know, Notre Dame midfielder, maybe one of the best defensive midfielders in the country, uh, whether he comes back for this game. He was out against Ohio State, but he's excellent on the transition. Uh, I know against Syracuse in the ACC game, he had a, a great goal with about nine minutes to go, picking up a ground ball on, the, on Syracuse's offensive zone and just running it back full field. So I think that's a, a big if for Notre Dame. But they had a great, uh, great game against Ohio State last week. Uh, I was able to watch that one, and you know it's not often you get to see a, a shutout performance. The last time Syracuse did it was back in '73, I believe. So you know it's <laughs> beyond impressive. Yeah, and I guess you know moving elsewhere when we kind of brag about just the great, great piece of this team, um, we'd be remiss to go. 10, 11 minutes without talking about Ben Williams, who I think while everybody else has obviously shown up, um, it's been Williams, and in particular in the Duke game, it was Williams who who really made such a huge difference, controlled uh, time of possession, allowed us, because of his proficiency on the dot, um, just completely and utterly um, took Duke out of it in the early minutes of that game. And I think it's great for, for us as Syracuse fans, you know, rooting for a team that, that has been, I think, you know, lacking a, a real bona fide face-off guy for years now. Uh, it, it's great to see not just any face-off guy, but, but a phenomenal face-off guy like Williams really just coming to his own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was under-recruited coming out of Minnesota, obviously. I don't, I don't think he really knew the process. They talked a little bit about that during the game. But, you know, you watch how quickly he clamps down. It's, it's lightning fast. He's out doing everyone he goes against. And then when he gets, you know, gets the clamp, he boxes out very well. He's got 11 ground balls. I know they talk a lot about the change in the, the face-off game where you can't get you – know, face-off guys can't really get physical and supposed to uh, incorporate the wings more, but still picking up nine-point-something ground balls a game. So he's doing a lot of it himself. And uh, yeah, it's funny because I was, I was looking at the stats, the, the record book a couple minutes ago, and Chris Daddio, he had the eighth most – face-off wins in a season last year and yet still like you can you can tell the difference between the two you know it's, it's all about when you win those face-offs and kind of uh, keeping the ball in your team's hands and Williams has done just a phenomenal job the one part of his game that's a little suspect is off the pass uh, when he wins a, a draw and picks it up he's had a couple of turnovers that were um, were not great but overall he's done a great job it's nice, it's nice that he's not like a total um, I mean, he's obviously he's a Fogo, but he's he's not a guy who is a total like black hole after this after the fact before he can get off the field. I mean, he has a goal or two this year. He he doesn't look. I mean, he looks like a, a legit lacrosse player afterwards, uh, which is really nice. It's, uh, whereas you know we've seen some of the guys in the last few years and the ever rotating crew of, of faceoff guys that we've thrown out there that you know when, when they were winning faceoffs, which was maybe half the time at best. Afterwards, there wasn't a lot for them to do uh, on the field. So it's good that he, he's, he's a versatile player, uh, as well as being just fantastic at the one skill that we really need him to do. You're absolutely right. I mean, he is a midfielder, uh, you know, in general, unlike Daddio, who is a true Fogo, you know, just get off the field afterwards. But, you know, Williams played some midfield at, at Holy Cross. Um, he can play midfield if you need him to. Uh, we've seen it a couple times. He's had a few mistakes, but I, I got to chalk that up to just being nervous and, and kind of being at that, that big Syracuse level. 
But yeah, you're right. He's uh he is a midfielder for sure. So I guess uh redirecting a little bit, uh Jim, what's the I, I guess and we've been on the receiving end of some maybe not blowout losses like this, although one Duke loss comes to mind. Um how does Duke respond to this? I mean, this is a team that was largely seen as a national title contender. It still sort of is. Uh, how do you regroup if you're the Blue Devils and you've just been completely just, you know, blown off the field the way that they were on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, they've got a, a big game against North Carolina this week. Uh, keep in mind, North Carolina has yet to play an ACC game. Um but, you know, the Tar Heels could be walking into a buzzsaw because, uh, you know, you got to think Tanowski will have them ready to play. No one's played Miles Jones better than Syracuse over the last two years. Um, and I think you, if you're another team, you got to watch how they did it, you know, what exactly they did. And we talked about it a little bit, but it, they, did, they didn't lose the game on Sunday. That was Syracuse winning the game. They didn't play a bad game. I thought, yeah, the score is lopsided. But, you know, their goalie, Luke Aaron, uh, had some good saves. He got peppered. I mean, 23 shots in the first quarter. That's really unheard of. You know, granted, not only nine were on net, but 23 is a big number there. Uh, the defense is a little young. They're starting out with the, a whole new defensive crew this year. Uh, so, you know, that that could be some of the problem. Uh, they've got a good midfield uh, group. And the attack, of course, you know, the attack is much better than they were uh, on Sunday. I I don't know, Deemer Class, I'm not sure if he even had a shot, did he? Uh, yeah, he, he had four shots, but he was really not noticeable for the most part. Um, so it's all about possessions for them. they got to do better at the faceoff. Uh, the Rowe brothers, uh, I guess Jack Rowe had went 12 for 26, which you know, against any other team you're going to do fine against. But I thought Donowski should have rotated to him and Kyle Moore you know, Kyle Rule only had uh, three face-off attempts, and he was their main face-off guy last year. So I, I'm not really sure what the issue was there, but I, I thought they should have rotated the two of them better. I think overall you go into North Carolina, this is a big test for UNC, um, but you're going to see a much better performance from Duke this week. Uh, you know, they just they got stomped by the best team lacrosse, period. Dan, feel like porn went out for Duke? Uh, I think Duke's going to be okay. <laughs> I I don't get too worried about Duke athletics in general, especially not Duke lacrosse after the last couple seasons. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is worth saying that basically the same thing happened to Syracuse last year um, at Duke, uh, and Syracuse bounced back, beat Duke in the ACC tournament. So I wouldn't, you know, it, it's, it's one game, and while Syracuse has been kind of bludgeoning everyone now, um, I wouldn't expect Duke to lay down if we, if uh, we meet again down the road, but definitely encouraging. And and I don't know. I don't like to get into like the uh, undefeated talk or anything. I, I've even lacrosse like there's always a bad game. Um, there's always a game where you don't win face off and and just the ball you don't find the back of the net. But this is definitely it seems to be the most complete team that we've put on the field since. Uh, Probably before I got there, 0809 was great. Um, that was my freshman year. But this team just seems to, to beat up teams in a way that I haven't seen a Syracuse do in a long time. Yeah, just to add on to that quickly, 
I thought the the first midfield should have been on the field when they got the ball on offense for Duke more. I saw a lot of that second line. I don't want to see that second line when you're down seven goals, you know, in the offensive zone. And, you know, another thing is Miles Jones wasn't patient enough. Um, it wasn't working for him. Should have gotten the ball to someone else. The offense in general has to be a little more patient, set up their game a little more, and not get frustrated. I agree. Yeah, so I guess – oh, sorry, go for it, Dan. Oh, no, I, I'm just saying I can't imagine in a game like lacrosse where there's obviously a face-off after every goal. It must be just so demoralizing to not be able to get the ball. Uh, like you said earlier, like Duke didn't play like an awful game. They just didn't have the ball, and, and that first quarter was just something I hadn't – I don't think I had seen a first quarter play a quarter play like that before where Syracuse must have had the possession for – I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they just never gave it up. So uh, you can kind of ima- uh, see how a team, even one as good as Duke, can get demoralized when Ben Williams is just crushing you at the dot, and then the team just finds finds the net every time they shoot. So it's uh, it, it's just it's uncharted, it's, uh, uncharted territory for a Syracuse. Who I mean, the offense has been good for a couple of years now, but combined with the the faceoff dominance just uh, really scary for the rest of the the country, although Notre Dame does make me nervous. They're really good. Yeah, if this team loses to one one team in the regular season, it's, you know, I mean, you got UNC and Notre Dame left, but it's going to be Notre Dame. That's a perfect segue into this weekend's matchup. (laughs) This is is going to be an interesting one. They talked about it a lot because they had a – I had to fill a lot of airtime this weekend, but you know that that matchup with uh, Matt Cavanaugh, Brandon Mullins, and then you've got uh, Wayne for Notre Dame on defense uh, against Kevin Rice. That's that's the key for this game. That's where you're going to see a lot of action. It should be where your focus is, quite frankly. Uh, Kavanaugh's developed uh, significantly over the last two years. I mean. He came in as just a scorer, and he's learned to pass the ball very well. I saw it a couple of times against uh, against Ohio State, making some pretty crisp passes. Um, but he likes to shoot from the wing. He's a good dodger. He's got a pretty good all-around game at this point. So it'll be interesting to see how Brandon Mullins matches up with him. Mullins has been just physical um, as a long pull this year. Uh, the defense overall, I think, has taken a note from him because they've been, they've been getting at it pretty good. Uh, you've seen some big hits from this team, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens um, on defense for Syracuse. Offensively, um, I'm not sure you're going to be able to stop Kevin Rice. His game's so complete, maybe the most complete player uh, at attack in, in the country. Um, I think he's the the leader to win that tour and trophy right now. But I, I don't think you stop that attack, even without stats. There's, just, there's so many weapons. They can move the ball so well. It, it'll be interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, looking at Notre Dame, I think the interesting thing uh, for them is how they don't necessarily close strong, and I think that that's going to be um, something to watch. Um, I mean, right now, uh, Notre Dame's outscoring their opponents uh, 47-17 in the first half, and and I think what, what's allowed you know th- them to do so well is that strong start. So I guess to both of you guys, do you think that Syracuse's ability to also start strong um, is really going to kind of nullify at least Notre Dame's strength. So, no, the rest of the, the way, um, you know, Notre Dame's only outscoring opponents 
think it's 34 to 28 in the second half. And I mean, I, obviously part of that is, is when you take your foot off the gas a little bit. But at the same time, definitely not the same impressive fighting Irish team in the, in the second half of games this season versus the first. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'll call you. I was just going to say, you know, the face-off game, too, uh, it'll be interesting because yeah, they, they took on Chris May last week of Ohio State, who is one of the best defensemen – or, uh, sorry, best face-off guys in the country. He and Williams usually go one or two, you know, vice versa, uh, every week in the stats. But um, they, I mean, they took him pretty good. And this is the team that beat Denver the week before. So, you know, Ohio State's not a, a slouch by any means. So we'll get to see whether or not that was a, a one-week thing from them at the, at the face-off uh, X and whether they can handle Ben Williams. They've got two face-off guys. Nick Ocella, who's, I mean, he's a midfielder first and a face-off guy second. I, I'd expect to see that, him run a lot less at face-off just so they can preserve him a little more um, on the, that first midfield line. And then P.J. Finley, who's uh, 32 of 58 this year, so... Neither one of those guys is bad by any means. They're a little above average both, um, but we'll see how they handle Ben Williams. Um, the one thing I was going to add, uh, Pete, you were talking about kind of fast starts and slow finishes. I was looking earlier um, at the goals by period for the season. Syracuse is actually pretty balanced. Um, it seems like the defense starts uh, – doesn't allow nearly as much in the first half, and I think part of that is because Williams is precious and, and seems to really dominate in the beginning, and then towards the middle end of the game is when other teams start to get uh, some face-off wins. But the, the offense, even when Syracuse has kind of gone to the backups down the road, um, in the third third quarter is Syracuse's highest uh, scoring quarter, and the fourth quarter, uh, 26th total goals is, is third just behind the second. So, um, Syracuse is pretty balanced in terms of scoring throughout the game. So if Notre Dame is kind of uh, front-heavy, uh, that doesn't really mesh well with what Syracuse does uh, from a Notre Dame perspective because Notre Dame uh, Syracuse defense always starts off hot. And um, if this game is close, it does seem like uh, you should probably give an edge to, to SU going into the fourth because that offense doesn't really slow down too much. Yeah, I, I think it was the Johns Hopkins game where they started off, the defense started off with a, a real poor first four minutes or so. But, you know, they, they came back and, and played well. And, you know, for the most part this season, that's what you've seen out of them. Uh, I think a noteworthy uh, thing to talk about is the goalie situation for Notre Dame. Uh, last year they, they were going back and forth between Connor Kelly and Shane Doss. Uh, both seemed to have, you know, just one game every now and then where they just couldn't make a save. Uh, they started off with, with Kelly this year, um, and then he, he gave up six goals or eight goals in 36 minutes against Georgetown. So you're likely to see Shane Doss this weekend. But, you know, I mean, you never know with these two. It, it's kind of uh, how it goes. So we'll see if they if uh, Doss remains in the whole game or not. Sorry, guys. Uh, I was just actually sending you, and we're not going to sit around talking about numbers people can't see the whole time, but on Slack, just sent both of you uh, Notre Dame stats page, and you scroll down to the, the five period, and I think this, to be honest, like while I think the individual matchups are huge, and I think it's going to be 
this could actually end up being a lower scoring game because both teams can play defense fairly well. Um, it is it is kind of alarming if you're, if you're a Notre Dame fan to see these splits um, and, and to see just I mean they really really I mean Notre Dame really really relies on um, just a, a, an absolute clamp down defense in, in that first and second period the first and second periods in particular uh, to set the tone and, and and I think this is going to be a very very um, you know weird game for them and, and to be honest could even be uh, a real eye-opener for them in terms of just, like, what their limitations are when you look at – I mean, right now they're out-shooting their opponents by double in, in the first two periods, and they're really not letting up a ton of shots, but then there's that huge spike in the third and fourth. So, again, I, I think Notre Dame is going to – it's not that – I think it's going to be an easy game for Syracuse by any means, but I do feel like Notre Dame has some weaknesses that may not have been able to be exploited yet, and, and the Syracuse team built – um, for that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a pretty significant difference there. <laughs> um, they got a guy, Garrett Eppel, on defense, a sophomore. Um, he's pretty solid, but he takes away uh, like pretty, I think, about two cause turnovers per game. Overall, Notre Dame's seventh in NCAA for cause turnovers. Uh, I don't think they'll have as many as they usually do against Syracuse, but you know, we'll see. That's a that's a big shot difference, though. Ooh. Yeah, I'm also glad that uh, hopefully this game uh, gets going before the the tournament game starts. I don't think they start right at noon, so it'll be a nice lead into a, a good day of sports. I think. Agreed. I'm very much looking forward to it myself because out here on the West Coast, everything starts early, so I get to wake up, grab some coffee, and then start watching sports. There is no wait period. Must be nice. Must be nice. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, Jim, before you go, you're going to bounce soon. Um, just quick going around. Final four teams, if you had to pick today, obviously a lot of that depends on brackets. But based on what you've seen so far, Jim, we'll start with you. Who, who are your final four teams? You don't have to pick a champ just yet, but who are those four teams that you see uh, in LA come the end of the season? Uh, obviously, I'm throwing Syracuse in there, uh, most complete team in, in NCAA. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to get beaten this year, but yeah, that's, that remains to be seen. I think Notre Dame will probably be there. Uh, I'd also say Denver. They've uh, they've had some trouble making it through that, that Final Four the last couple of years, but I think they're good enough to possibly make a championship game. After that, I honestly, I might go back with Duke. Um Again, what you saw this weekend isn't isn't what they're capable of. You know, I, I think before the season I would have gone with a, an Ivy League team, maybe Princeton, maybe Cornell, but that Ivy League is, is kind of up and down. You don't really know what you're going to get week in, week out. I mean, Harvard just lost to Dartmouth. That's really unacceptable. But, yeah, I, I think I'd have to stick with Duke at this point in the season. Duke, Notre Dame, Syracuse, and Denver. Uh, kind of boring. Might see Maryland in there. They've been a surprise this year, but, yeah, I'd go with those four. Dan, um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to put you have to pencil Syracuse in right now. Um, not even being a total homer, I'm sure that's part of it, but they've just looked like the best team uh, by far. Um, I'm going to put Duke in there just because 
it'd be kind of foolish not to even coming off that bad loss with their recent tournament success. Um, I also like Denver. Uh, I feel like they're just kind of due to break through. They've been hovering right around uh, that mark for a couple of years now. Um, it just seems like they are one of those teams that, that it's clawing at the cusp of the next level. Uh, and then I'll go with Maryland. Um, from what I've seen, they've been pretty impressive so far. And they're always one of those teams that plays really tough defense and can be really uh, irritating come tournament time. I agree with all of those. Um, myself, obviously, Syracuse, going Notre Dame. Um, I'm going to go North Carolina. And then, yeah, that last spot. Um, it's tough not to project what happened to Duke last weekend on them this time around. But at the same time, like, you know, they're great. I, I think that they can – I think they're a better team than Denver. I think long-term that they're going to show themselves to be a better team than Denver. Um, but if I was going to go away from – you know, just kind of the typical picks. Um, a team like Princeton um, could make a run, but, but that's about it. I mean, I I think we're still a couple of years away from, you know, like Denver for the most part is, is the only, like, non-established um, power that's really been kind of making noise in the tournament lately. Um, I think we're still a couple of years away from, from the Albanies and, and Marquettes of the world and maybe even the Ohio State um, getting themselves in, into a better position um, to compete for Final Fours. Yeah, and who knows with, uh, with Albany what happens when they uh, lose to Thompson? When they what? But who knows with Albany once, uh, once all the Thompsons are out? Yeah, I think that defense at Albany is just too suspect. Blaze Reardon in net there gets gets hit up for a lot of shots, um, and I don't think he's particularly that great. But, you know, they still have got a good attack line, even without the other two Thompsons there. But you look at Denver, they play kind of a similar game as, as Syracuse does uh, on offense. they got four really solid attackmen, probably second-best attack in the country. Um, you know, now that they have Canizero transferred from Maryland, um, but they do play a, kind of a similar box style on the crease that Syracuse can get into. Uh, so it's a lot of, a couple of good teams. I, I think there's that first tier, and then you've got a whole lot of middling teams there. Yeah, I think that's a very accurate depiction. I guess my one question, looking at the ranking, um, Marquette's getting a, a pretty nice gift. I mean, obviously they haven't beaten uh, you know, scrubs by any means, but I wouldn't say that they have the same type of, you know, impressive wins that a lot of others in the polls might have. And, I mean, and this is a typical refrain of how Hopkins can remain ranked despite a losing record. Yeah, Marquette uh, has kind of came out of nowhere this year. They've got a, a grad student, Jordan Greenfield, who I believe is still leading them in goal scored, played with them in high school. He was freshman I think he was good then and he's real good now um they play a lot of close games a lot of tight games but I mean I, I, they lost to Georgetown 9-10 Georgetown is up and coming right now but they're still not there so I, I don't even know if Marquette makes it in the tournament yeah I was actually looking at the ball too the total Hawkins thing is so goofy like every other team is at least uh I mean look at all the five and four 
and they're up at 16. But Hopkins being at 20 at 3 and 5 is pretty ridiculous. Although they have played like a pretty strong gambit of teams here that they've lost to, and it looks like almost all these games have been pretty close. So I don't know. I think that's, I guess that's like the, uh, you can get on the horn about Syracuse football scheduling in terms of uh, Chomps Hopkins lacrosse right now. They've lost, well, it looks like every loss has been by three goals or fewer. So maybe that's yeah, part they've... of it. They play to their opponents, but they haven't won a top 20 game yet, and that's what's what's really killed them and what will kill them come tournament time because they're not going to get in that large bid, so they got to beat Maryland in that Big Ten, and I don't think they can. Uh, but if they want to even have a shot, they pretty much got to win out. Um, and the only tough game left on their schedule is, is Maryland, so we'll see. But it's, it's such a good team. It bothers me so much because they have a great offense, uh, I, I know their goalie, Eric Schneider, has been a little suspect, uh, but he's capable, you know, and, and the defense isn't awful. So it bothers me that they're 3-5, and five, but I, I don't know what's been going on with them. They just need to get it together a little bit. Hopkins in the Big Ten is, is like, I shouldn't be uh, shouldn't feel weird about realignment stuff anymore, but Hopkins playing in a, in a in the Big Ten in lacrosse does seem totally off. Yeah, if the Big Ten is seem totally off. <laughs> they, I, I would have loved to see them in the ACC be that 16, you know. It made so much would have been nice. But. Yeah, it does. You know, you, you fill that Baltimore spot with Maryland gone. Uh, you keep the AQ. Not that it really matters right now, but it will in the future. Um, and you keep that, that automatic rivalry with Syracuse. and It would have been nice to see, but so it goes. Agreed. All right. Um I think we're good on lacrosse, Jim, unless you had anything else before you hop. I, I just did want to say I uh, fi- finally tried that. I went up to Vermont this year, and uh, I know you guys are beer guys, but finally tried that, uh, oh, what's that beer, that hoppy one. Um, Hetty Topper? The famous. Yeah, finally tried it. Not my not my thing. Not my thing. <laughs> There are beer geeks everywhere that want to murder you right now. <laughs> That's all right. Give me a rum and cocaine time call today. <laughs> At least you give it a shot, which is more more than we can say for most people. Yeah, yeah. So, but thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me, sure. Jim. All right, guys. Bye. See ya. All right, and it is uh, it was Dan and I once again. Uh, it was great to, to have Jim on. Great to chat some lacrosse. I know um, as, as much as we do know the game, Dan more so than me, Jim more so than just about everybody I know. Um, so I'll always oh, yeah. his thoughts. Uh, uh, yeah, not just Syracuse, but kind of around the country. He has his both Trumps, I think, pretty pretty good. So it was great to have him on. Plus, it, it, you know, it's tough with lacrosse. I, I like to watch it, but it's hard to start uh, getting into, like, the non-Syracuse games before basketball ends. So, once, uh, you know, we got a couple more weeks of, of hoops, and then hopefully we can get some good non-SU lacrosse stuff on. Otherwise, I've just hit, caught, like, Clemson, you know, a couple of glimpses of uh, Maryland and North Carolina and a couple of other teams here and there. True. I mean, admittedly, I'm still watching the end of hockey season and basketball season, so 
something that I need to, yeah, once that's going, I'll, I'll start redirecting a little bit. But uh, I think we've reached time, and I know uh, Jim kind of provided us with a nice little segue. Um, talk some beer. What are you, uh, what have you been drinking, Dan? I've had a, a very non-beer week. I was working all weekend uh, with the NCAA tournament. Um, I had, you know, a couple like basic things: some some Yinglings, some uh, Sam Adams. Nothing, nothing too exciting though this weekend. So hopefully, or last weekend. So hopefully, with fewer games this weekend, I'll be able to uh, rectify my beer situation, um, which was was admittedly lacking over the last uh, couple days. But that's what happens when you have however many basketball games I had to watch uh, from Thursday to Sunday. It was a lot. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, on my end, the usual drinking. Uh, from uh, from New Glarus, I had the uh, Enigma Thumbprint 2015. It's a really, really nice sour. Um, for those who have had Tart of Darkness from the breweries, it's kind of a tamer version of that. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, also enjoyed uh, Scream Double IPA um, from New Glarus, uh, Benefits Trading, a really good one that you may or may not have had at some point, Dan. Uh, Big Luscious from uh, from Founders. It's a really good um, chocolate and raspberry stout. Definitely a dessert I, beer. I saw that last time I went beer shopping, and I didn't get it, uh, but I have not had that yet. But um, I'll probably go back to the store on, like, Tuesday, so... If that's there, I'll have to uh, I'll have to pick it up. I haven't definitely loved most of the founder's stuff, so always always willing to try what they put out. Yeah, I definitely recommend it for a one-time taste. Um, Dan also sent me a uh, Brooklyn Sriracha Ace, and uh, I got to enjoy that over the weekend. Very interesting. I know Sriracha Ace hops in general are just a uh, one that is being used more um, lately. I was very intrigued to see it used in a Saison versus um, where I had seen it already um, in IPA. I had to say, I, I did I did find the results intriguing. Yeah, I haven't had it in a while, but it's, a, it's definitely an interesting beer. So I figured that was a good one. I know you, uh, you've you been drinking more Saisons the last couple months, so I thought that was a, a decent choice. Indeed. Uh, what else have I been drinking? That's something like different stuff. I've really been trying to clear out my fridge. I have a bunch of stuff going on. Also had a, uh, I guess the last one from me, uh, Carbon 4 from up in Madison, uh, Wisconsin. Had a Fantasy Factory IPA, uh, another enjoyable one. Mostly for the label, really. It's a, it's a cat with a gun on a unicorn. It's a, it's a fun it's a fun image. Definitely grab that one if you're up in Madison. Yeah, that's uh, that's it for beer. You jump to uh, NCAA tournament for the uh, for the final part of this. Uh, so, how's your bracket doing, Dan? <laughs> I think anyone who listens to this podcast with any regularity can kind of rest on my bracket. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of our one of our pet teams, Utah, is doing quite well. Um, our other pet team, which we infected the rest of the Noons Edition staff with, Iowa State, uh, not so well. Uh, I think they lost the second game of the tournament. Uh, I had them in the final game, so they're losing to Kentucky. Um, and it's, it, at this point, it's not so much like I'm mad. I, I feel more like a, 
a parent who like sent their kid off to college and, and for like the first three weeks, all they did was talk about, Oh, he's, you know, going to study this and he's such a good kid and he has a great head on his shoulders. And then like September 23rd rolls around and he's calling his parents because he, you know, got arrested for public intoxication and their whole world just come crashing down because they question um, how they raise their child. And that's kind of how I feel about Iowa State. Uh, because I talked so much about them for the last, like, three months. And the minute anyone gets to see them out in public, uh, they just make a fool of themselves. <laughs> so I apologize to everyone who based their uh, their bracketology on, on what John and I have shared the last couple months. Uh, I swear they were good up until this point. Honestly, though, I will say that while I did pick Iowa State to lose in the championship game just like you, I did <laughs> – mentioned several times that I could not shake the goddamn Hampton loss from my mind. I had, like, totally – I knew about that. I mean, I, I've obviously watched that game, and, like, I'm like, oh, it's a different Iowa State team. They should have been UConn last year. Uh, they got – you know, but UConn was on some, like, that magic run they always do every three years. So I was I was looking more towards the recent history. They have, like, a great, great lineup. Monte Morris is an all big tall guard. Jordan Niang is one of the best post players in the country. I was like, oh, they're good. They'll at least make it to like the Elite Eight. They're better than better than Gonzaga. Um, yeah, so that didn't that didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't work out. Nope, nope. They're the same exact team that lost to Hampton. <laughs> On top <laughs> they're, they're, of that, go for it, Dan. No, they're dating like that. They're they're kind of joining that list of. They went Villanova. Villanova's <laughs> getting on that list pretty quick of uh, teams you just can't can't bet on in, in March. Um, already on that list, you know, we should give a hand to the Georgetown Hoyas. They made it to the weekend. So, good for them. Good performance. Still um, choke, guys. Yeah, I mean, to their credit, Utah's a much better team than them, and Utah should have been like a three seed, and Georgetown should have been like a fifth seed. Um, so, you can't blame them for that, but... Uh, it was good to see the Utes run all over them. Um, and I think Utah-Duke is probably the most intriguing game of the Sweet 16 coming up. See, I'd go with that or Wisconsin-UNC, uh, just because while I did like Wisconsin all season, I kind of think Oregon exposed them a bit, um, even though they didn't weren't able to pull off the victory. Um, I felt like Wisconsin um, just couldn't seem to to shoot well. I mean – Obviously, they didn't lose. They still won by seven. But there, there was a sense of nervousness about that team that I hadn't had before. Um, and, and I've been watching Wisconsin, a fair amount of Wisconsin games the last couple of seasons um, with, with this core. And it was just, yeah, it was surprising. And now, I mean, UNC didn't look great against Harvard, but it looked great against Arkansas at the end. Um, and I wish I could get to the game out here um, in L.A. because I would want to see both of those teams uh, live. But... Alas. Yeah, I trust Wisconsin to win that game. UNC, like NC State, both of those teams, although to a lesser degree, so up and down. Um, I just think Wisconsin's a better team overall. But, but the, the Tar Heels did look really good against Arkansas, which I thought would be a slightly trickier game than it ended up being. Um, that's definitely an interesting one. I just love the, the Duke-Utah like clash of styles. And if you go by like the old Ken Palm um, you know, teams that win the tournament are top 25 offense and defense. 
Utah is one of only four teams left that put that bill with uh, Kentucky is in there, uh, Wichita State is in there, and uh, Arizona. So uh, if you trust Ken Palm implicitly, Utah is the balanced team. Duke is, I think, 45th in defense. So they're not terribly far away, but um, they definitely are, are weaker on that end. So I think that team will be great. I actually think a lot of these, these, these matchups are really good. Um, West Virginia, Kentucky, I, I think Kentucky wins, but it wouldn't surprise me if West Virginia annoyed them for, like, 35 minutes. Um, Wichita, Notre Dame is, I think, just a really compelling matchup. Um, I don't know who's going to win that one at all. Uh, Wichita, I mean, if you're going by, like, tournament history, Wichita is a much more reliable team than Notre Dame, but it seems like the Irish are really trying to shake that that stank off that they have on them with uh, Mike Bray not making it to 15 for, like, a decade before this. So it should be a fun one. I'm, I'm excited. No, agreed. Um, and I think, you know, while we weren't, you know, we, we already kind of pointed out our, our failings, but I think I think we need to point out where, where you and I were kind of on the same page on some, some decent upsets. First and foremost, uh, NC State over Villanova. Uh, yeah, which I one you and I bought in on weeks ago. I didn't have, didn't to have the guts to pick it. But I I wasn't surprised. Like, it didn't shock me that NC State came out and played an awesome game. Um, that game was a lot closer. I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't. It didn't, wasn't too jarring. It was, I mean, it's kind of funny after NC State. Like, I don't know how they beat LSU. Um, but good for them. Uh, I'm not a huge NC State fan by any means, but I do appreciate the ACC representing really well in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's also more money in our pockets. So, that's yes, pretty awesome. And we need it because the NCAA decided to take it all. Because we're losing that Big East money, so we got to add our ACC money. Yep. Um, I feel like we def- we were both on board with the Wichita State KU upset, which I don't think was, was necessarily rare, but I do think that uh, that it's worth saying that you and I were, were on top of it. Uh, I did take that one, and I and, felt supremely confident about it. Agreed. I did as well. I also want to point out, and, and again, not a stretch taking Tom Izzo in March, um, Michigan State over over UVA, which which looked like it was it was going to come to fruition within the first five minutes of that game. I was, I was fairly confident that my pick was going to pay off. Yeah, well, when Travis Trice scores 13 points in the first four minutes, uh, <laughs> that that did look good. Um, I took Virginia. <laughs> Uh, I was very conservative with those benefits this year. Um, I just, you know, Michigan State had been kind of up and down all season. But, yeah, they dominated that game. Um, I think they're going – I if you had to ask me right now, who's going to win the East, I think it's going to be Michigan State. I would actually agree. Um, I'm not sure Louisville gets past NC State, but I don't think NC State can, can hang with Michigan State. Um, Michigan State just knows how to hit their stride at the right time, obviously. Um a draw like UVA for them was great. If they had faced maybe Kansas, I don't think the same thing would have happened. Um, even the Zags, I mean, if they faced Arizona, oof, I think Arizona will run right through them. But Michigan State just happens to get that draw at the right time. Um, I actually would have preferred uh, Dayton to get through, both for my bracket and the sense that I think Dayton-Michigan State would have been um, just an incredible game. And I would have loved to see uh, what shook out there. I know that entire bracket, while I got the upsets on both sides, the fact that I lost both the, the Dayton-Oklahoma game 
and the Northern Iowa game uh, killed me. And, and that definitely, I hate the state of Iowa now because I, if I didn't already, because I picked both um, Iowa and Northern Iowa to make the final four and things did not work out for me. Um, also got kind of screwed by, uh, by Iowa state yet again and Iowa at the bottom there. Cause, uh, cause Iowa got smoked by Gonzaga and Gonzaga suddenly looks like they're firing on all cylinders. Um, obviously Iowa state lost. So that sends an, an overmatched UCLA team, um, in the face Gonzaga, and as, as much as I'd love to see the Bruins uh, get there, and, and to especially because I live close enough to UCLA to have the city kind of electric with the with the Bruins buzz, I, I just I don't see that happening. Sadly, no, I think Gonzaga is better. Um, I actually I do think UCLA is pretty intriguing. They are cooking at the right time. Um, Bryce Alford is just like a classic, uh, just hot. Uh, you know, can light it up from at any moment. He's had some really good games. The uh, the non San Antonio Spurs, Tony Parker, um, had an incredible game in the UAB. Uh, he just has like that, like poor man Zebo, like below the rim, just can't be stopped down there. Game that just UAB was totally unprepared for. Um, Gonzaga, I think, will give them a little more issue, uh, especially because Gonzaga has like two or three legit pros players. Uh, not a lot of teams have more size than them, which is interesting considering they're a mid-major. But um, you know, they're 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 an interesting team. They're uh, they look better than I remember them looking throughout the season when I've checked in. Although it is it's tough to get a, a gauge for them because even if they win by twenty against most of the teams in conference, I mean that's not that's not that impressive. So they definitely it looks like a better Gonzaga team than we've seen the last like two or three years. So they're they're definitely interesting, and I I'm rooting for. Uh, I'm rooting for Utah out of the South, but um, I, I think any dude Utah or Gonzaga can all win that at this point. It's all it's, it's very close. All of these races are very close. I think I think Kentucky and Arizona are gonna get through to the Final Four, but the the right side of the bracket, I think pretty much anyone can come out of any of those spots except for UCLA. I think they're a little behind. Yeah, I'd agree there. Um, I mean. I'm rooting. I'm not a big Gonzaga fan to begin with, so I'm rooting. And plus, like I, I do have ties to UCLA um, in terms of my in-laws, but uh, definitely, I'd be happy with Utah getting out of that South region. I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, also, rooting against the Zags more because of, of bracket reasons than anything else. There's a lot of people to pick Gonzaga um, to get out of that bottom. Uh, there, so having them not do that would be awesome. Favor um, of Utah, a team that once again you and I were, were kind of riding from the beginning, even if we wavered slightly. Um, the one big surprise uh, that we haven't mentioned yet, though, um, Maryland losing in pretty convincing fashion to West Virginia, um, which which you and I said it sucked that those teams had to face each other because it felt like both of them. Where we're the most dangerous, other than Utah, we're probably the most dangerous fours and fives in the entire tournament, which, again, just, just sucks to see Maryland gone. Sucks to see Melo Trimble knocked out the way he was. Um, and then, then really glad that I decided not to put Maryland in the final four after, after I had them there for literally the entire time until about five minutes before it was time to submit. Yeah, um, we've been kind of riding high on Maryland all year. Uh, it did as soon as Tremble went out. 
Um, that was pretty much it. They didn't have a second point guard, which, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess, the problem with having, like, six kids transfer out uh, finally hit uh, hit Maryland right at the worst possible time. Hadn't really affected them all year, and then once it came down to crunch time when they're playing a, a pressing team, Triple went out with that really awful injury. Um, and that was pretty much it. I mean, they hit a couple shots down the, down the stretch, but if West Virginia really wanted to put it on them at the end, they would have had no problem getting a steal every two or three trips down the court. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of like this West Virginia team, too. Um, I It is unfortunate that they're going to go up against Kentucky. They don't have the size really to deal with them, but I think they could make it a game for a while. Uh, I don't – Kentucky – the Harrison twins, who will probably be handling the ball most of the time, aren't the most secure ball handlers. Uh, I think we'll end up seeing a lot of uh, Tyler Ulis. Um But overall, I just think Kentucky has too much talent and size. West Virginia, they're a much more scrappy team than they are like a physically imposing team, I think. They play tough, though, so it's not going to be too different than what we saw with Kentucky and Cincinnati where the Bearcats uh, – the Bearcats uh, really kind of imposed their will on Kentucky for a little bit, but at the end of the day, the, you know, UK was too much for them. I do love what Cincinnati did at the beginning of that game, and I think it really uh, really gives teams a blueprint. I mean, if Cincinnati knew how to finish at the rim, that would have been a completely different game. really would have gone down the wire. Um, Cincinnati played really well, I felt, for, for the first 25 minutes. Um, and then after that, I you know, I mean, and you saw things just kind of – just fell apart in in pretty pretty immediate and alarming ways. Um, and again, if I don't think West Virginia is equipped to do that, um, nor is North you know Notre Dame or Wichita State. I think it really comes down to um, you know is a big team going to be able to get to the Final Four uh, to face them and knock them off? Otherwise, I'm not sure if anyone can. Yeah, the only looking at the rest of the bracket, the only ones like Arizona is the only team that matches them athletically. And by match, I mean, like, it's in the same realm. Um, I think uh, if you go down, I think Wisconsin would be an interesting one. They're not as athletic as Kentucky, but they do have some size. Kamensky can kind of draw their big guys out a bit, and if he has a good game, he can be an issue. Um, North Carolina has a little bit of size, but, you know, they have some injury issues sneaking up now. Then on the other side, Duke, I don't know, Okafor isn't, the kind of defensive player that I I don't know how well uh, he would do against uh, Towns and Collie Steiner, although they're not really refined offensive players. Um, Gonzaga has the size that we talked about, so that'd be interesting, but I don't know. I just don't think they have the depth. And then maybe NC State with BJ Anya, he's a he's a pretty imposing defensive big man. But none of, like the problem is that you talk about like one guy on these teams, and that's fine. Kentucky has like three or four. Like, Dakari Johnson plays, like, 15 minutes, and he'd start for every other team in the country. Obviously, it's a one-and-done, so anything can happen at any moment, but it, there just isn't a team that matches up physically with Kentucky. So, I, I as much as I hope we see some, some dramatic, uh, especially because UConn isn't sneaking around there to be the one to knock them off, um, I wouldn't bet on it. I think Kentucky just has a major edge on everyone else. Agreed. Um, so right now, if you're looking at it, we don't, and I feel like we've covered a lot of these teams too, so we can kind of quickly 
who are the four best teams remaining in your eyes? Not necessarily who's going to make the final four, but who are the four best teams remaining in your eyes and who are the four worst teams remaining in your eyes? Um, Kentucky is number one with a bullet. I think Arizona, uh, number two. I, they're kind of a weird as a two seed. They kind of stuck up on people, I feel like, even though they've been highly ranked all year. And they have, what, two losses. Both are by maybe one possession. So it's not like anyone's really blown them out. And then they ran through the Pac-12 pretty easily, which is proving to be a little more impressive than we probably thought. Uh, after that, I'd probably say um, I'd probably put Duke in there. And then it's either Wisconsin or Utah for me. Probably Wisconsin. Hey, I think I'd probably that's give the same. The edge. Yeah, I, I'd do the same. And I think Utah's the fifth if you're going to. Actually, yeah. no. I, I would say I would say Gonzaga is the fifth for me, and Utah would be sixth. The Zags are for, up there. They're, 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 they've impressed yeah, me. It's, it's not even a knock on Utah. It's really just like how clinically Gonzaga has has just dominated North Dakota State, which who I thought was going to stick around for a little longer than they did. Um, and then Iowa, who just they completely obliterated. Um, so I, th- I think the Zags kind of hang around in that fifth spot, but um, I, I could even be convinced to take them over Wisconsin right now, which is scary as someone who's been on the Wisconsin bandwagon pretty much all season. Um, and then who are your worst fans, if you had to pick the four that are, that are just bad, or at least have uh, no business being there? Xavier. Overseeded. Um, I mean, they were they played they were really impressive in Ole Miss, uh, but then I was I was really rooting for uh, for an upset in the second round. Uh, I just don't think they're that good. When you have 13 losses a, for, to a Big schedule, you shouldn't be a six seed. I'm sorry. Um, how about UCLA? I think they're. It's one of those things, and I know there's been like the argument all week. Uh, I think you have to separate the should they be there versus the, you know, does. Do their wins validate them now? I think they're two different arguments. Uh, they are talented, but I, th- I don't trust them to continue on once they start playing teams like Gonzaga. Uh, after that, I'd probably say it's tough. I think there's a, a big step up after that. I'd probably go um, – I just can't buy in on Oklahoma, and it's probably unfair to put them in the – the bottom four, but I think there's a pretty good set of teams out there right now. Uh, Buddy Heald's great, and he made an amazing defensive play at the end of that that game they played the other day uh, against Dayton. Um, but I, I just, I don't know, something about them, they, they dare me as much as, like, most of the other Big 12 teams do. But to their credit, they're only one of two left. And then I'd probably go NC State. Uh, they're just way too Jekyll and Hyde for me. Uh, Cat Barber's amazing. Uh, he's really good. Probably one of the most underrated players in the country. He's, he's been good pretty consistently, as while the rest of the team is just really up and down. But overall, I, I don't trust them nearly as much. Although they have, there's not a huge difference between them and Louisville, so I could see either one coming out of that. Especially you know post Chris Jones Louisville, you don't really know what you're going to do after them either. Right. And honestly, yeah, I, I think you're right on those those first. I think Xavier being the worst, and UCLA is next. Um, I'm going to go Oklahoma, and then I'll probably go West Virginia, uh, to be honest. I think I think NC State and Louisville are too tied up uh, for me to really pick between them. And I think MSU uh, and North Carolina are also a little close. So rather than picking between those four, uh, I think West Virginia. We said before the tournament, West Virginia was a very good team, but they were an inconsistent one. 
Um, they were never seemingly able to get things together. And I, I think that proved true in the first two rounds as well. Um, not being able to put away Buffalo um, and then not struggling with Maryland necessarily, but, you know, you didn't see a dominant win and it wasn't supposed to be. They were five over a four, but, um, you know, I just don't know if West Virginia showed that they have what it takes to knock off Kentucky, and that's not a knock on them. I feel like you could say that about just about every team in the country. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd put them in that group hesitantly. Um, so, more shade to throw, though. Before. Ah, yes, of course. There definitely are. Um, like West Virginia, UNC, Louisville, <laughs> NC State, even Michigan State this year are all teams that, you know, haven't really put it together most games even. Like NC State, you literally don't know if you're going to see a 20-point win or a 20-point loss. But they have been playing well this tournament, so I don't know if that means that they're hitting their hot streak or just like they're a bomb wedding to go off. I, I, for NC State, I kind of think the latter. I expect them – I don't know. They're either going to beat Louisville or they're going to lose in miraculous fashion. I would concur, actually. All right, so one more thing before we go. Um, looking at all these teams, obviously we, we kind of joked about our, like, all choke artist region um, beforehand. So uh, based on nothing but, like, kind of the last four to five years, who in this, who in this tournament makes your, your all choke artist region, let's say, for the all choke artist final four, and then who makes your all overachieving final four? Um, Georgetown's the one seed, and that's not just because we're a Syracuse blog. Like Georgetown <laughs> is so bad in the third round. Like that, their worst, their best performance in like seven years is a second round loss to a good Utah team. You're not a good team in the tournament. I'm sorry. Um, Notre Dame, they're playing well this year, but they have to be on that list. Uh, Mike Gray's first Sweet 15 in, in, since, I think, 03. Um, it's just impre- it's an impressive level of ineptitude uh, for a team that's been pretty consistently decent for that entire run. Um, I think we said Villanova. I think they're sneaking up on people. I ran – there was that 538 article that came out yesterday that kind of ranked the best tournament coaches, and, and Mike Izzo was easily number one. Um, I did – I didn't total. I didn't do exactly the same statistics, but I did like a basic version of what they did to find the just to look at Jay Wright and JT three, and they were both very far in the negatives. Um, I also did Bill Self just because he's had a lot of early outs recently. He's also in the negatives despite a, uh, a couple final fours and like just because they're a one seed like half the time. Um, I don't know if he played as as far down. He'd be on the list probably though. Uh, Pitt has to be there. I know they're not there this year, but they are so bad in the tournament. Um, Iowa State, like we said, is, is getting there. Last year they were pretty good, but uh, they also blew that game. You had like an all-world performance by Dustin Hogue last year, and you couldn't beat UConn, so that's not great. Um, I'm trying to think. It's it's tough Baylor. because a lot of the – Baylor, 100% <laughs> is in there. And uh, Texas. Texas, yeah, 100%. Um, a top 10 team this year. Although, this wasn't just a tournament flameout. This was like a year flameout. Uh, and if Matt Brown doesn't get – or not Matt Brown. Matt Brown already got basically fired. Um, if Rick Barnes doesn't get fired, I don't think he's ever going to get fired. Like, they had an incredible – they had a, a really good recruiting class 
coming back to a team that just had a pretty good tournament last year. I think they made the Sweet 16. Um, they brought back uh, probably more big men than anyone not named Kentucky. Uh, a really good point guard added the number two player in the country and got worse, way worse, and snuck into the tournament and did not do anything in the tournament. So, yeah, he's – I think Rick Barnes is just on the like bad coach uh, tournament, not not just a bad tournament coach. He's just not a good coach. Yeah, I think that's, that's six or seven now. I would add Indiana to the list um, oh, they're, entirely they're because of Tom Crean. <laughs> he he's another one that uh, he might survive because his buyout's insane, um, and they have a, a good recruiting class coming in. But I don't know if he should. Tom Crean has done. He got he to his credit, they were in such a bad place when he took over that it was expected to take a while for them to get back. The problem is that he got them back. They were a number one seed in the ten they they beat Kentucky one year. They lost in the three sixteen to Kentucky that same year. No no harm in that. Then the next year they were a number one seed. We saw what happened in Washington. Um so, that was bad. Having to fire for that. Um but then since then, I think Michael Carter Williams broke that team. I think MCW broke uh, kind of like Doug Hood broke Tom Savage. I think MCW broke Tom Green. I agree. Um, I think that's seven. So one more that I'll throw out there, a little controversial, but I think it's worth mentioning. Um, UVA. I, I feel like, I mean, Tony Bennett hasn't been there long enough with an elite level program to really deride him too much, but we're getting close, aren't we? Like, like he's, that team is edging into the conversation because of how well they've done the past two regular seasons and, and how not well they've done. And, and if it's not them, then I think it's Gonzaga. Um, but, but I, I wanted to throw UVA out there just for kind of a, a gut reaction for me. I can't put UVA there yet. Um, We've been like two years with, with Virginia being really good. Last year they lost by one point in the Sweet 16 to the aforementioned Tom Izzo, the tournament god. Um, so I can't take too much away from them there. This year, I don't know how much of a difference a healthy Justin Anderson would have made, but again, they ran into uh, the tournament god, Tom Izzo. Um, I just think I think you need like one more year to see what they can do because they should be – a top five team again next year. They should bring everyone back. I don't think anyone. I don't know. Maybe they lose someone to the turn to the draft, but there's no one obvious. I don't think Anderson's an obvious draft pick. Um, so I think next year, if they don't make like a solid elite eight run, maybe then we can start talking about them like doing a whole like is their style going to allow them to win big in the tournament? But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep them in the. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a stay of execution in our all uh, underachieving tournament here. Although this year, next next year we should absolutely do like a full bracket. That's fair. And then you think you think the Zags are a are, are an eight seed there, just kind of a a team that I mean this year they might break out of that, but but as of right now the results that we have up to this point, do you think the Zags belong in kind of that that meh bracket? Yeah, I don't think that's totally unfair. They're they're definitely one that you know they've they've been like a top two three seed a couple times now and and haven't really made a lot of that. Although this year they definitely look like uh, I mean they should make it to the elite eight. So if it was the UCLA uh, on Friday, I don't know if that game's Thursday or Friday, 
um, I think it's Friday, uh, then then I think we might have a legit case, a legit case there. Try to think of some others. We're definitely missing like one or two obvious ones. Are we though? I feel like all the obvious know. ones made it this year. Like I mean, because I'm looking yeah. at the, I'm like staring at the bracket. Yeah, I was thinking like beyond the bracket. I feel like there's someone. Now I touched on Pitt because you have to include them. Of course. Um, I don't know. Syracuse said troll commenter number five. <laughs> Syracuse. They haven't done anything recently besides make a Final Four on an Elite Eight and a bunch of Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. This is, I, I really think this is it. Like. I think Pitt's the only like notable like not on it this year team. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there's some regional bias here where we're more likely to see the Big East and ACC teams that don't make it a lot because like I don't know what like University of Washington's NCAA tournament history is off the top of my head. Well, none of those teams get into the tournament enough to underachieve. That's that's another issue. I think uh, okay, maybe Maryland before this year. Well, no, including this year, I guess they they had missed the tournament a bunch, but I feel like they uh, post their NCAA championship, they've only made like a couple couple multiple round runs. Yeah, I think this is their first. I think this is their first first round win, and it was a while. But yeah, Maryland would kind of be like on the bubble of, of that choker bracket. Um, so moving to the positive though, because rather than ending on a negative note, who are the? We're going to have to go eight because I feel like it's, it's a necessity. And luckily, I feel like most of the teams that would make that bracket are in this year's tournament, save one, whom I feel like deserves the one seed, and we're just going to say their name and move on. Oh, you can. Yeah, it's you can. Fuck you guys. Moving. On. You're so goddamn good in the tournament. Hate you. Uh, that's number why, two like, seed. Oh, go for it, Dan. Uh, it's not a Michigan State number two. It's it's Michigan State. It's absolutely yeah. Michigan State. I I hate them for it, but it's Michigan State. Um, uh, I think Wichita State and Dayton have to be in there. They're definitely making moves. Um, kind of thing if Xavier like middle. Xavier's yes, even this year. I mean, they they got lucky where they're seeding, but they they seem to sneak around the Sweet Fifteen pretty often. Butler. Oh well, obviously, yeah. Butler is definitely a, t- a top four seed in, in that. I guess this. I think we're already at seven, which is which is impressive. Um, but there's this many teams that just regularly defy expectations. Um, yeah. Uh, let me think. Yeah, I'm just kind of perusing, like, this bracket. The problem is, like, oh, eventually most of the teams that overachieve eventually just become good. Fair. UConn's like that weird one where they're, oh. they're, they're best. Oh, VCU. VCU, definitely on there. They've made, what, two or three VCU. second weekend, third weekend runs now? Yeah, I, I, I think VCU... I have no idea why they just, like, didn't show up this year because I felt like they were a trendy, like, Sweet 16 pick. Um, if if yeah, anyone I was have them in losing, Arizona, it, it was because of ECU. 
Well, the reason they lost is because D'Angelo Russell, except for that last game, is a is a god. He is incredible, and I hope you all get to like watch some highlights or something, or if like the Knicks get the chance to draft him, like enjoy that. You know, I thought about the Knicks. My buddy and I were talking about this the other day about who we wanted, and I said I either want the first pick or the third pick. Because if I get the first pick, I want Towns. Without a doubt, I want Towns. If I have the second pick, now I have a decision to make based on somebody else. Like, if they pick Towns, we're forced to pick Okafor. If they pick Okafor, then great, we just pick Towns anyway. But what I really want, number three, is I really want Cauley Stein. So I, I think the one or three, I think Cauley Stein is a much better NBA um, defensive center. And, and that's why I think Cauley Stein... Uh, is the better pick for the Knicks, a team that has really not played great defense in upwards of a decade and a half. Yeah, I think Cully Stein, the one, the knock on him is that he doesn't have, like, a super polished offensive game. So I don't think he'll ever have, like, a a back-to-the-basket game or anything. He's going to score. He he reminds me a lot of Tyson Chandler, which Knicks fans might welcome. Yeah. That's that's, that's perfect. I don't know. I'm not him as, like, a top-five pick. Because you have Towns and Okafor who both have really well-developed offensive games. Um, the thing is, Okafor can't defend anybody. Um, he can defend big guys. He can't defend anyone with like a game away from the basket. Um, Towns can. Towns is more athletic. I think he has higher upside. I think Okafor is a safer pick. But um, those are probably defeating the, the three big guys off the board first, um, unless like something. Like in barring injury or barring like people getting too concerned about Cauley Stein being a, a veteran, which is silly. Yeah, I'd agree there. I think. I mean, I, I'm assuming the Knicks are a top three pick at this point. If they are, then they're getting one of those three players, and, and I think in order, Towns, Cauley Stein, Okafor for me. Um, I like Russell. I just don't know if. I guess the problem is like I, I like him as a facilitating guard. I'm curious, though, if because he's a facilitating guard who needs his shots as well, that that's not going to clash with Melo at some point. It might. And then obviously the Knicks are very system-based now because they run that triangle if that sits around. There's also Moutier kind of hanging out there in China. Or now he's probably back in the U.S. at this point. Um, And I'm sure Russell versus Moutier is going to be, like, a, a big talking point considering they're both, like, not the same player, but they're both the same mold, like uh, combo guard, can hopefully play the point at the next level, but can like definitely play shooting guard, big, you know, physical guards. Um, I think Russell's probably a little more dynamic in terms of passing and in terms of creating. Um, I also haven't seen Moody play, if that's like highlights, so that'll be interesting. No, I agree. Um, I think he definitely brings up a, a very, very interesting little uh, disagreement. So, I guess that'll do it for the most part. Um, unless, Dan, unless you had anything else before we uh, depart for the week and, and, and figure out who uh, who ends up at the Final Four. No, I'm, I'm excited to get this going. I, last year this time I was super burned out on college basketball, and for whatever reason this year I am not super burned out on college basketball. I've actually, because I watched, like, every game for the first weekend uh, yesterday and today, I, like, didn't know what to do with myself, so I watched net games, which, you know, 
Not not today. <laughs> so, nope. Uh, they were tonight, but uh, I'm looking forward to get back to the Sweet 16. Um, really late. I think there's some really fun teams involved, which helps. And no UConn. Agreed. <laughs> and no UConn, UConn which is the most important part. Like, they're going to do the stand up. <laughs> Oof. I was I was so scared until like the buzzer sounded in that SFU uh, championship game two weeks ago. I, I was sitting there just going, "Up, oh, no, this this is gonna happen. I, I can't believe I have to witness this again." And um, luckily, <laughs> we, we, yeah, we, we luckily they lost. Uh, thank yeah, you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the questions continue to circle around that program. And Jalen, uh, I think Jalen Adams is like, "Are they coming in?" It's been as those people. Um, and we can stop dealing with them, but I don't have faith that'll happen because UConn, <laughs> just for whatever reason, we can't hear them. I prefer to, though. All right, and that's a, that's a good place to end. Um, Dan, thanks, as always, for stopping in. Yep, always happy to talk. Uh, I'm glad we had some lives in today, and hopefully probably the rest of the spring, too, with how the season plan. Yeah, and thanks again to Jim for uh, for joining us for that. Hopefully uh, we get to talk a little more lacrosse in the next couple of weeks, and we'll have we'll plenty more to talk about before Dan and I. I don't know if we're going to do the exact same thing as we've done the last two summers in terms of uh, all the ACC football teams, but I think I'm looking to try to get some different guests on so we could chat about ACC football here and there, as well as just from a national perspective, since I know while Dan and I are both Syracuse fans, we do have national interest at heart when it comes to uh when it comes to college football as well. Oh yes. We need to we should definitely go like a full uh full SEC Hallmark cast. I'm all about it. The one the one cast we have to have the one podcast we need to have again is the uh is the UVA definitely goes two and ten podcast. <laughs> Didn't quite nail it last year, but <laughs> if you look at their schedule for the upcoming year, you know it's not not great. No, <laughs> think they made date this year. That was dumb. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Virginia! At least Mike won that Virginia, indeed. <laughs> That's why you're called the Who's. That's why you called the <laughs> But anyway, um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Troy News and Absolute Podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week, slash you'll listen to us next week, hopefully. Uh, be sure to rate, review, uh, whatever else you want to do to the podcast uh, on Blog Talk, on iTunes. And, uh, yeah, go Orange Lacrosse this weekend. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. 
dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.